Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining me here in studio for today's conversation, glad to welcome back Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office, Jason Dreho. Jason, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed a nice weekend and looking forward to our conversation today. Good morning, Dan. Hope you had a nice weekend and now we're in the start of summer. So, Jason, coming off the long weekend and the unofficial start of summer, markets do have some momentum. I recall we did see that rally on Friday heading into the weekend, though over the weekend we did hear the announcement from President Biden as well as House Speaker McCarthy of a deal reached to raise the debt ceiling. So that was a sigh of relief following a lot of anticipation heading into the June 1st deadline this week. That's a good place to start our conversation, just breaking down the terms of the deal. What can you summarize for us, Jason, and what does this development mean for the markets going forward? Well, first, the most significant aspect is, you know, they're actually going to raise the debt ceiling. And I'm assuming that, that you know, the House and the Senate will pass it, you know, without too many, you know, disruptions. I think that's kind of, you know, a, a reasonably safe, you know, conclusion at this point in time. So it eliminates the near-term sort of downside tail risk of, of default, of any sort of machinations that the Treasury would have to go through to, you know, try and kind of manage through that kind of situation. So that's by far the most significant aspect. Aspect. Um, there is a, a two-year kind of debt increase, so it, this won't be another issue until 2025. Uh, so basically, we have a two-year reprieve from having to talk about this, mm-hmm. or at least 18 months before it starts to become an issue again. So that's another kind of you know, positive for the markets. There is you know, some talk about or, or details in terms of caps on spending going forward. Uh, now, this is important. This is not fiscal contraction. It just means spending can't grow more than a certain percent. This is coming off of the fiscal year 2023 uh, spending, which increased 10%. So it's already kind of off from a relatively high level. I, I'm bringing this up because, you know, there's some thoughts that, you know, could this deal, if there's, you know, some spending cuts or contractions or caps in this case, could it have a drag on the economy? And, and the reality is the amount we're talking about is pretty small for the overall economy. So maybe it takes off one-tenth, two-tenths at most of GDP growth, which when you think about that consequence, well... The Fed can see what happens and they can also will be a little bit more accommodative. So the net result for the economic outlook should be, at least for the next 12 months, pretty, you know, de minimis. You know, so not significant there. You know, there were some other details, specific details requiring, regarding kind of, you know, work requirements for, for people who get food stamps. Uh, you know, there was a the Mountain Valley Pipeline through West Virginia. That's going to kind of go through. Something that could be the most significant, you know, I think that's kind of maybe a little bit underappreciated is permitting reform. So it can speed up the um, uh, you know approval process for energy projects. This applies for both kind of renewable and non-renewable. This is you know important as you know we kind of ramp up the uh, the investment related to the Inflation Reduction Act. A lot of companies announced investments. Hopefully, this can actually expedite it and not take you know years for those projects to kind of you know get off the ground. So I think you know bottom line, it's you know economic implications relatively modest. Big thing for the markets is it takes off the you know the near term kind of downside tail risk. But this was something that was already kind of anticipated that you know, all along, you know, the markets, especially equity markets, have assumed that this deal will get done, haven't really priced in a lot of risk. And therefore, on the announcement, assuming, assuming passage, right. this isn't necessarily a catalyst for the markets to go much higher. I mean, like you're going to see a little bit of small mm-hmm. pop today, but it's sort of, you know, it was kind of anticipated, not real market moving news today, just sort of a relief that we don't have that sort mm-hmm. of downside tail risk. So we're not completely out of the woods yet, as you alluded, Jason, assuming the deal, in fact, passes investors always focused on what's next. So can you speak to some stories, factors that you think will be moving markets over the next couple of 
months as we get deeper into the summer? We've already had a year now, five months into it, where there's been a lot of sort of narrative switches in terms of growing optimism about a soft landing. Suddenly, maybe, you know, the economy's overheating. That was back in the winter. We had the banking crisis. We've mm-hmm. spent the past few weeks preoccupied with the debt ceiling. So now it's like you're sort of turning the page in the book and say, well, what's the next chapter in right. this 2023 story? Certainly no shortage of things that can matter for the markets, you know, the, uh, the economy, how well it's doing, whether it will stay resilient, whether we tip into recession, how does inflation play out? A lot of focus now on the Fed, what they might do. Expectations just a few weeks ago was that the Fed was done hiking. They're paused. Now there's a possibility they could hike in June and the market's about a 50-50% probability on that. Uh, closer to 100% probability of having a hike done by July. Uh, and then there was, the market was pricing upwards of 100 basis points of rate cuts uh, just a few weeks ago for the rest of this year. Now it's basically one cut starting in the kind of November, December timeframe. So where we would end up year end is kind of where we are with the, the Fed funds rate. So how this, the Fed, does that kind of characterize it? What sort of combination of hike, pause, skip, or cut mm-hmm. will we'll actually um, you know materialize? Uh, another factor that's, you know, the markets are definitely kind of preoccupied with is, you know, AI. We saw what happened a week ago with NVIDIA. <clears throat> its guidance for the second quarter earnings were kind of a, a blowout number far exceeding mm-hmm. the expectations. And also for a company that size to announce that guide higher, that's just kind of fueled, you know, the investor euphoria, let's say, at this point in time sure. for, for AI. So how does that d- dynamic kind of, you know, play out? So a lot of different sort of factors that are, that are um, kind of all at play. Uh, some are positive. Uh, some could be negative, but it's also kind of open questions of how it will play out. So I think the market direction in the next couple of months has multiple factors that uh, you know that could sort of swing it one way or another. Foremost among that economic fundamentals, then the Fed, and then sort of some of the you know the market dynamics recently, of especially with the, the IEI story taking kind of a lot of front page news recently. Mm-hmm. So with everything in play, Jason, that you mentioned for us, how would you characterize recent market action? Well, it's interesting if you look at just equities and rates and what you know the markets, those different asset classes were pricing. We've said and we still believe that the equity markets overall have been pricing in a high probability of a you know, almost perfect landing for the economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, if you looked at what rates were pricing, no more hikes, cuts, you know, basically the equivalent of four cuts later this year, uh, starting as soon as July at some point in time, the bond market was saying we expect a recession to begin by this summer. Now, given the move in rates that we've seen just in recent weeks and, and moving higher and sort of pricing out some of those cuts and pricing even a little bit more of hikes, that would suggest that there's kind of a closer alignment between the stock and the bond markets. Um, so there's there's less kind of discrepancy between the two, and it's really kind of closed by rates moving a little bit higher. So I think that gets a little bit more into alignment. Uh, another fact that's been you know widely cited is the narrowness of market rally. Um, you know, this is certainly kind of recently, but all year to date. You can attribute it to the entire S&P 500 performance of up about 10% year-to-date due to, by some estimations, five stocks or seven stocks. But it's basically the big mega-cap tech stocks that have driven the markets higher. If you extrapolate or or exclude those, the S&P would basically be flat. You can see value stocks are flat, small caps are flat. Even the equal-weighted S&P index is kind of flat. So it's been a very narrow market. It's given some concern that if those lose momentum, does the market kind of you know, come crumbling down? Mm-hmm. An alternative, of course, could be that, you know, the rest of the market catches up. And, and history doesn't necessarily lean one way or another, meaning it's not the case where narrow breadth is a precursor to the markets going over. As often as not, the markets actually end up being higher six, 12 months later. But that's certainly been a key focus. Uh, I think just the divergence in performance we've seen between 
you know, growth stocks, tech stocks, right. and other parts of the market is, is pretty astounding. Uh, last week, we saw a little bit of reversal where some cyclical stocks and small caps did decently well, not as well as the large cap stocks and, and growth stocks. But if there is sort of a, a, an expectation or belief that suddenly a soft landing could become more viable, there's sort of a catch-up potential for for some of these other areas of the market that have lagged at least year-to-date. So with that in mind, Jason, as we look out over, let's say, the next three months, how do you see market conditions playing out from here? Well, I go back to the, some of the factors I kind of outlined earlier in terms of the economic fundamentals, how that plays out, you know, the AI story, uh, you know, what the Fed does. I think starting really with the you know, the fundamentals in some way, you know, as we go back to like, you know, this is the start of summer, the weather's getting hotter and warmer. Um, you know, the markets could heat up if inflation cools down significantly. You know, it's, we've seen economic data, certainly growth data, be more resilient than expected. The labor market has held up well. Consumer spending continues to hold up reasonably well. We will get the May payrolls report on Friday in a few days. Mm-hmm. It's still likely to be around 200,000. So again, continues at a strength in the labor market. If that persists, at the same time we get inflation to decline, you know, potentially quite significantly over the next couple of months, that's going to fuel the belief or expectations that a soft landing could really materialize. And I focus on that because at least headline CPI inflation is expected to fall quite a bit over the next two months. We will get the main numbers in about two weeks. Uh, headline numbers, ex- the consensus is it's going to fall from 4.9% in April to 4.1% in May. And then when we get the June data on July 12th, you know, it, it could fall to less than 3.5%. So by seven weeks from now, we could be talking about inflation with like in the low threes from a headline number. Publicly, optically, it's going to look like inflation is getting really under control. Right. Will the Fed be satisfied at that point? So the Fed has to consider, well, if inflation has fallen that much, um, all sequel real rates rise because inflation goes lower. The Fed funds rate in real terms starts to go higher. Mm-hmm. It could believe that, okay, now it's getting more restrictive. We don't have to do more. Then the Fed certainly is more focused on core inflation and whether that remains sticky, and it has been the stickier of the two. Mm-hmm. But if we get some sort of surprises to the downside on core inflation, same thing on the labor market, continuing sort of softening wage growth moderates. So you see across the board inflation coming down led by headline. You can get investors to really believe that, okay, this soft landing, which we really didn't think could happen now – you might go from being possible to probable. Mm-hmm. If that happens, to me, that's more the catalyst for the markets kind of grinding higher this summer. So inflation cooling means markets potentially could heat up during the summer. So a lot hinges on that inflation. Part. So I think there's there's the if it does if it kind of comes down more moderately but still comes down, I think that's fine. The mm-hmm. markets kind of stay range bound to break out to the upside. I think if you see inflation sort of surprise to the downside and drop significantly, I think that's a greater catalyst for then inflation to move. Higher. Whereas if it doesn't, if it even so a little bit disappointing in its decline, I think that's less negative for the markets than really good inflation news is positive for the markets. That, that's kind of how mm-hmm. I sort of position it. Uh, now, you add this all up, I think where we would have thought two months ago, the skew for the markets was definitely to the downside. Right. A lot of good news was being priced in. Uh, now, debt ceiling is done. We haven't seen a lot of additional stress in the banking sector. Economic data is holding up okay. I think the risk use starts to become you know, you know more balanced mm-hmm. as investors just fundamentally believe the the economy looks a little bit better. Um, that you know would suggest that the you know equity market upside or downside is less negatively skewed. When our preference though still remains you know bonds over equities and high quality bonds in particular. One of the consequences of the markets getting a little more constructive on the macro, pricing out some of the cuts, is that bond yields have gone higher. Mm-hmm. It just also makes bonds, high-quality bonds, that much more attractive. A 10-year at 3.7, 3.8, 
more attractive than at 3.3%. Sure. So I think, you know, given how much the markets have moved and where bonds have moved, relative equities, I think that they're still relatively attractive at this point in time. And it does remain a CIO message in focus, high quality bonds over equities, right? Given, you know, sort of what's priced in and what kind of returns you can get, mm-hmm. they still favor high quality bonds, you know, or, you know, over equities. Again, at the margin, you know, I was talking with a, a um, a client last week where the thought was, well, if you don't like growth, that means we don't anything. I'd say, no, it just means that right. it's like that marginal dollar you want to lean in maybe against growth stocks. Same thing on an asset allocation basis, that marginal dollar you want to put into bonds and this is like equities. It certainly doesn't mean selling all your equities. It just means mm-hmm. thinking about what kind of risk reward you get over the next you know, six or so months. And right now it feels a little more attractive in, in high quality bonds. Well, Jason, thank you for joining us this morning to close the loop on the debt ceiling negotiations. We'll see what happens over the next few days. And it sounds like June will be a busy month. We have a couple of key factors coming up, the inflation print, as well as the June Fed meeting that will dictate perhaps how markets trade over the next few months. So we'll be sure to keep our listeners informed and see how conditions play out over the next couple of weeks, though. Jason, thank you again for joining us today. You're welcome. Have a great week. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the global wealth management business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.